Welcome back to Talking Country with Brad and Chancey. Guys, beautiful week again. Here we are on another beautiful Sunday sitting with you guys and can't wait to discuss a few things we have to talk about today with y'all. Good morning, Bradley. Happy to be back. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Now, hey, the things we got to talk about today have to do with uh, something that we've kind of mentioned here the last few episodes about disking and shredding and that type of thing. And we've brushed on supplemental feeding, you know, as we, well. we brushed on that. And so that kind of brings us up to summer and spring food plots, which is time for. And so hopefully you've been doing your shredding and your disking in order to prepare for this type of thing. Because as, as it is, this is basically farming. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, you know, when we talk about food plots, particularly spring and summer food plots for deer, dove, or turkey, or quail, or whatever it is, one of the things that I run into most is just the proper planting of them, you know, because it, it is a lot like farmer. Farmers just don't go out there and start planting, you know. They prepared the year before to plant that crop. And, and, and it seems like so many people will come in here and they'll, you know, it'll be March, and they'll say, hey, do you have any summer food plot blends? And we'll be like, yes, we do. Mm. Now, well, I'm thinking about doing that. And, you know, you could tell they didn't prepare too much for it. Sure. And that stuff's expensive. Yes, it is. So when you plant it, you want it to come up. You want it to do well. And so you need to be thinking, you know, first, like, where is a good place to plant a food plot where you're going to get the most production out of it? So, like, and, and, you know, depending on how big your place is, there's different, I guess, sizes of a food plot that would fit a fit a certain place i guess depending on how many deer you have uh the other things these deer may have to eat sure the quality of habitat if you're supplementing with feed you know if you run in a pelleted supplement feed you know that can factor into it also if you're putting out cotton seed you know but if you just want to add more food out there for them give them more choices then you know i, I kind of think if you're doing all that other stuff and managing from a deer standpoint anywhere from about three to five percent of your total acreage, which yeah. is which is not too bad. I mean, if you figure you have a hundred acre place, yeah. that's three to five acres. Yeah, and if you're you know if you want to go bigger, of course, uh, go bigger. To me, you know, five to ten acres is even better. Uh, especially, you know, I think there's been some research like for deer and turkey. You know, a minimum of three acres. They seem to the turkey will come out and utilize it more. The opening deer fill, not too big, but the way that you lay it out and where we're talking about planting and where to put them, you know, near your brush or near your cover areas, you need to think about that. But, you know, 3 to 5% of your acres is a good rule of thumb, but you can definitely go bigger. And now you hear the word food plot and you automatically think of deer, but so many birds, there's so many good bird blends, there's so many things you could do to attract dove and, yes. and different different wild birds that you that are really nice to look at. And spring and summer food plots are great for attracting birds for dove season. Oh, absolutely. And then another, not only that, you know, like so many we think of dove season and dove hunters, you know, first thing that pops in my mind is sunflowers, you know. Yes, it is. And shoot. You, um, but if you look at a bag of bird seed that you buy at the store, look at the things that are in it. Yeah. That's a good. That, that that's all good stuff. That that is good for food plots. Yeah, especially for birds like all the German foxtail millets and sorghums and milos and you know sesame, all that stuff. We're not planting a food plot for birds to graze on. We're planting it now for the seed, mostly for the seeds that they're going to graze on come late summer. Sure, and even if you planted a bird plot, you know, and I know there's a lot more grass type species in bird bird plots but if you got sunflower in there deer are gonna hit it you know deer are gonna come utilize as well but they they make specific 
food blends that you can buy a blend or you can mix it your own to target specific species, whether it be deer, dove, quail, turkey, or both, you know. So. And regardless of which one you pick, you're going to be farming. Yeah, you're going to be farming. Yeah. So, it's, yeah, you're going to be farming. You need to pick the right spot, you know. So, um, in general, kind of way I look at it, in our neck of the woods, in central Texas, and heck, most areas, if corn will grow there, you know, if it's not too wet for corn and it'll grow there, then probably it'll grow a food plot just fine. Now, the only thing you may need to look at is maybe soil pH. Sure, you need uh, a soil test. You know, like a, lot, a lot of things will grow in alkaline soils that won't grow in the sandier, uh, acidic soils. So you need to pick a, a blend, you know, that kind of fits it all. But uh, uh, which is wide location, I guess, which is going to be the first thing we're going to talk about here is yeah. important when you pick your location for your food plot as to where am I going to put this thing? Yeah. Because you kind of need to have, even though it's not deer season, if it's for deer, you kind of need to have in mind where you want, where you would like to be perhaps maybe even planting a fall plot come come yeah. come the fall for hunting season you yes. don't want to be disking up a lot of ground two different places and maintaining two different no. spots of ground for this unless you got that ability and want to do that i mean i know some landers that do strip I, I want to stick to just strip spring and summer you know but we have to mention fall because you know a lot of landowners will you know plant a spring one and then till it up and then put plant it fall and utilize the same field to do put a food plot in for the summer and then hunt over it in the fall now if that's what you're going to do you need to be thinking about placement from a stand like a deer stand if you're going to hunt it from a from a deer stand point and also access you know i like to be able to if i'm going to hunt a food plot you want to be able to access and sneak into your deer stand like you don't want to have to drive across your food plot or walk across your food plot in order to get into your deer stand so it's best to think about location areas so where you can park a, a specific spot a, a parking spot that's away and you can sneak into the back of your stand where you don't blow deer out of the food plot that's out there or whatever so you can sneak in your stand so that's important from a from a location if you have that but like i said if you got a big enough place and you've got time on your hands you won't some people do fall only food plots and spring only food plots but for most landowners you know it's like Bradley said, you're trying, you don't want to be doing two different spots and way over the place and moving equipment left and right. So just something to think about location wise. And something that a lot of people will forget, you know, you might see this nice little opening in the woods that you're like, man, if I planted a food plot here, the deer would love it. But some people forget how important sunlight is to plant growth. Yes. And so you don't want this to be sitting in the middle of a little opening in the woods somewhere. It needs yeah. to be kind of out in the open, maybe mm. with a buffer zone in between. Oh, yeah. And like you say, it's competition. You know, number one, small, little small areas, you know, aren't going to receive the same use from anything just because of space required. But then also, like I said, light. You know, plants need light, especially most of our food plot mixes. They like full sun. Now, I'm not saying there's some stuff that won't grow in the shade and can tolerate, you know, 50% shade throughout the day, but most of well, our A lot stuff, of your broadleafs will, but yeah. your grass is definitely not. No, and, you know, in a lot of your deer food plots, they have a little more forbs in them, you know, but still most of a lot of those forbs are, you know, lab lab or soybeans or cow peas, you know, especially, you know, forage peas. Uh, and they like full sun as well, you know, so be thinking about that. But then, like Bradley said, you know, the bigger the better. You want your food plot where it's adjacent to cover of course and what we talked about that disking and shredding in my opinion it's very important on your food plots to think about leaving a buffer strip between so okay perfect example say you're gonna make up you're starting from scratch you're gonna make a five acre food plot and it's adjoining this woodland edge the more edge you can get on your food plot 
to cover, the better. Best to leave like a buffer. Because it's important to remember that, that deer edge feeders. Edge species. And so the more edge you can create with your food plot, that's the better it's going to be for everything. Quail, turkey, deer, but particularly deer. And particularly for deer, if you leave a buffer strip of like 20 or 30 yards, from the time you leave the woods to the uh, where the food plot starts, let that just grow up and get rank. Now, but if you disc it, you're going to have a lot have of that. neat stuff coming up there. So think about what we talked about last episode, disking, or last two episodes, disking and food plots and how you work these together and they go hand in hand. You could disc the boundary, a 20 or 30-yard boundary along the edge, along next to the, the woodland. You can disc that now. You're going to bring you a, you're going to have a native food plot there, native stuff that's going to come up. Don't shred that. Just let that grow and grow and get grow through the summer and rank. But then inside there, plant your food plot in a warm season plot. So now you've basically got two food plots going yeah, on. Yeah, you got, you a, got a native one. one around the outside edges. Yeah. And then you're going to have your, your what you've planted growing in the mm-hmm. middle. And this is really important if you're going to use the same plot, food plot to hunt in. And I say this, and, but we're planting stuff out there because we like to hunt deer, you know, for the most part, or hunt birds, you know, there. But from a deer standpoint, that buffer strip of 20 to 30 yards, it makes them feel safer. They utilize the food plot more, especially if it's three to five acres. And I've sat there and I've watched too many bucks. And it's also important from a hunter standpoint. From a targeting a specific deer standpoint or hunting, if you got a deer that's coming to a particular food plot or a particular area, that buffer strip, a lot of times, you know, if that's not there and you just plant food plot straight up to the edge of the woods, a lot of times those deer will sit in there in the woods and you don't particularly see them, but they're glassing that field. And if you're moving around in the stand or glassing a doe or a little young buck over there, there might be a buck sitting in those woods that's watching that field before he comes out there and you never even see him because he saw you first and he never walks out. But that 20 or 30-yard buffer strip, he can't see through there as good to see what's growing on that field. And if you let it grow tall like rag, giant ragweed and goldenrod and Yankee weed and white bone set, just all solid dagos, all this junk, you know, or weeds that come up in the ragweed. ragweed and in the fall time, you know, are starting to mature. Let it grow tall, just that buffer strip. It makes him feel safer, especially a buck. He'll walk through there. And a lot of times from a hunter standpoint, you can see his antlers. You can see his antlers in the stuff you can't tell, but you can it gives you allows you time to get ready. If you recognize the deer and it's one you're after, you're like, oh, that's him, he's coming. And you can go ahead and get in position and that deer hadn't even seen you yet because he's dealing with all that other stuff. Compared to him sitting on the edge of the woods yeah. in the brush. Yeah, because I've watched them. They'll still get to that edge of that uh buffer strip. And they'll still glass that food plot before they come out. Yeah, they'll 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 observe, it, especially older bucks, you know. And so that that buffer strip helps in a lot of different ways. It serves multiple purposes, and I think from making those deer feel secure is one of the most important. Not only does it add, you know, a native food plot as well. And you know, if you think about this buffering, this uh, disking, this buffer zone, that's perfect for burning. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you, you know, if you're going to do it in the fall time, mm-hmm. you, you disc your buffer zone around the outside edge, you, and then you can burn off what you perhaps might no till your food plot into come, come springtime when it's time to do that. Yeah. And a lot of folks, too, you know, it's designed and you can change them from year to year, but a lot of times you have one plot, you know, but people will have disc strips in the middle or disc on the outside for sure i recommend but also disc strips in the middle and those strips in the middle can be planted with you know a native warm season grass that provides cover like switchgrass or little blue stem or big blue stem i'm sorry or indian grass something tall you know or it can be used as a you know you can have summer plots and winter plots in the same field by your timing of each you know 
Yeah, that I way you that way come time to plant your fall food plot, you don't have to destroy your summer food plot yeah, just too let early. It ride. Let it yeah, ride. Let it ride there cuz for your birds and stuff, they're that's going to be prime time for oh, them. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you're trying to, you know, we're all out there trying to make the most out of what we have. And know? it's very enjoyable. Yes, To it plant is. something and watch it grow. Yeah, it is. I think every single one of us, you know, I mean, we're born with it. Whether you're a farmer and thank God for our farmers or you just like to grow tomatoes, you know, there's something nice about planting a seed, watering it. And, and watching so, it grow. Yeah, you know. And, uh, so I guess that that kind of takes care of location. You want to how far? What do you think? How big does this buffer zone need to be? Uh, you know, and I would say about twenty yards. You know, about twenty yards. I mean, which is pretty pretty big. And you know? need to be sure this is well drained soil. Yeah, well drained soil. Like I said, if this is a spot on your place where nothing's growing at, probably shouldn't put a food plot blend there because it's. It's there's some reason. Yeah. It's either too wet, it's too rocky, it's too something. Yeah, shallow soils. Shallow it, soils. There's yeah. a reason that nothing's growing there. So pick a place where you've got a lot of good growth at, like where you know Do looks like good test. fertile soil. Do a soil test. You know, go out there, take a soil test. That's pivotal when you're picking your spot. Go take a soil test. And if you're in East Texas or east of here, it's lime. You usually got to add lime or gypsum or whatever. You know, in the right amount that the soil test recommends so mm-hmm. that's important as well. well something i want to just mention since we're talking about deer but it's food plots bird plots for doves specifically doves if you can think about location from a dove standpoint i know we always think oh water 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 put it by stand but it's really nice if you can put about a five or ten acre dove plot next to our border that's a gravel road and also a power line utility line right away because our dead trees, you know, dead trees and utility line right-of-ways are magnets for doves. They just like to like to be able to see real good around them. And then that gravel road has all that grid they on it. They can pick the grid up they off of get, there, right, sure. Yeah, and then if you add to that, you have a water source nearby, you know. Make sure you spray the edges of the water source with, like, glyphosate or something. Basically, doves don't like to walk through a lot of thick vegetation. And usually water. tank dams are pretty thick. Yeah, There's yeah. a lot of thick and, stuff going Unless it's like... September when we're hunting doves and you've grazed that pasture and the, the cattle and usually the water's lower and when the water's lower then you have bare ground. Dove like to water at tanks with bare ground is what I'm getting at. So if you can provide all those things when you're choosing your food plot, put it next to a gravel road. If you got a utility, you know, if you might not have these on your place, but if you do, try to work them together and you'll increase your success. Absolutely, it's kind of like putting a. Uh, a syrup tub for cows next to the hay roll. Yeah. I mean, you know, or next to the tank. You know, like the, the farther away from, from the things they use every day you put it, the less you're going to get, the less use you're going to get yes. out of it. That's and now the, don't get Chancy wrong. He's not telling you to shoot dove off of a gravel road. <laughs> yeah, no, don't no. hunt on them. Yeah. Don't <laughs> just, don't just, drive around with 22 mags or 17s and, you know, <laughs> skillet shoot doves off power lines by any means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't. I, didn't, I just wanted to make that clear. <laughs> no. Okay? Yeah, don't, don't, don't tell the game warden that 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 chancy said that he you could shoot dove this off a of gravel if you've got a driveway you know a gravel driveway on your property yeah there you go yeah. yes yes just to make that clear yeah uh, so we got a location okay yes, so so where this where everything grows a buffer zone in between the woods and your your food plot yeah for birds next to water next to gravel roads where they pick grit because birds have to have gravel in order to grind sure. food up in their stomach uh all birds do so that that's what chancy means about that they'll pick up little pebbles and stuff and it grinds their food up for them so they can digest it that's why you always see birds on gravel roads um you know you need the proper drainage you need sunlight 
and all these types of things. Okay, so now that we have a location, preparation comes up. Yes. Okay, this is where we were talking about earlier. Somebody coming in the in the store uh, in March and saying, "Hey, I'm going to plant a food plot. What uh, what seeds do I need to do it?" Yeah. Because uh, th- there is what they call no till, which is one way of doing this. Mm-hmm. To do no till planting, you have to have what they call a no till drill. Uh, not a cheap piece of equipment. Definitely not a cheap piece of equipment to maintain. Lots of moving parts. Sure. Uh, takes a lot of abuse, you know, planting into hard dirt and stuff. So, so no-till is a, probably the best way to do it. Yeah, I think so. It's the best way to do it if you can, if you have those means. And if you're local, Chancey does this for a living. He'll come out and do it for you. He's got all the equipment he'll, and knows exactly what to plant and where to plant it, and he can really help you with that. Otherwise, you got to disc it. You got to, the key to farming any particular crop you got to get rid of competition amen yeah and that's not going to happen just overnight you're going to have to start that in the fall time so so in the fall you need to be preparing for your spring food plot yes and even if you know till drill you need to be thinking in the spring or the previous summer so much and it's human nature and i'm guilty of it too we want it now we want big deer yesterday we want if we're thinking about a spring food plot we probably unless we were prepared we want it you know, let's start today and get and it. And you're so busy. It's yes. understandable. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you know, you, life is busy. You forget about it. But if you're going to do it right, no, that stuff is expensive. Yeah, you want to so do, you it wanna right. do it right. Yes. And so one of the things that, so you got a location picked. Now you got to go out and assess what's there, what's growing right there. Now, if it's already an existing field that's been farmed for years, that's easy. It's taken care of. You know what's there. But if it's not. Say Let's it's say it's an oats patch where you graze calves at all winter or something yeah. like that. That's probably in good shape. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. can work with that all day long. But say you're creating one, you know, or if you just bought a piece of property and it was native ranger, you're going to. Or coat, gonna, or worse, Bermuda grass. Bermuda grass. Or you may solid your pine. You need to bulldoze something down or moat something out of the area to create an opening. You know, that's you've got true. all different scenarios that you've got to work with but one of the ones that we deal with a lot is a lot of them want to have native range you know and uh, sometimes the places are undergrazed and have too much grass sometimes they're overgrazed and there's no perennial grasses but with a warm season food plot competition like bradley was saying is absolutely key critical particularly competition from warm season grasses so if you go out there and say what was growing last year, you need to be thinking about it. if what was in that food plot was Bahia grass or coastal Bermuda or Johnson grass or something like that, a, a grass that grows, can be native or exotic, that grows in the warm season, it's going to compete against your warm season food crop if you don't. And perhaps get it. overtake it because it's been, there's a seed bank there. Root system there's a root system established. It's going to be well prepared to outcompete yes. whatever it is you're going to try to do if you're just going to go out there and march and plant. Yes, because like Brad said, a lot of us don't have access to a no till drill. So what do we do? We go out there and march and we disc the daylights out of it. Well, guess what? Disking only helps Bermuda grass and some of your perennial grasses if you do it in March. Bermuda grass, before, right when it's starting to green up or right before. Yeah. when you need to be disking for your food plot yes love bermuda loves that not yeah. only that like we talked about what does disking do it creates a its own food plot by bringing it takes every weed that's been sitting there in that soil bank for the last 20 years and it exposes it brings it to the top and guess what when it gets rain and sunshine on it it's going to grow so you just created competition you know which is great if that was your goal was to yes. to, to create this growth mm-hmm. but if you're going to try to plan a how much dollar per bag bag of food plot blend well it's about you know depending on what you get anywhere from 30 to 40 dollars an acre probably to plant so if you, you yeah. like you got to do it right yeah yeah it's best to definitely do it right um so 
and you you know if you're going to put that time you won't want your stuff to grow you don't want to be choked out with a bunch of you know i say ragweed the stuff you're trying to get rid of ragweed yeah i don't want to choke it all out because it will happen and then when that stuff starts really taking off and you want your food plot to be growing in may and june that's when your native worms or even your warm season grasses are going to start growing like crazy. And if you didn't get them killed, they're going to outcompete. And that's probably the number one issue that I see landowners run into is they go out there and it's a time thing. It's a time thing and a money thing and a planning thing. They do it this year and want a really good food plot that spring, but competition kills them. And for those two reasons. So a perfect world, if you were just go with a no-till drill method and you had those warm season grasses out there, it'd be best to start the previous summer go in there with glyphosate and kill that area with roundup if it's while it's actively growing don't wait for it it to freeze to come and then go do it you need to hit it in late may because i forget i forget what the rate is of roundup that you have to put on the coastal bermuda grass to kill it it depends if it's super well established in clay soils it's harder to kill than in sandy soils in clay soils parks and wildlife and we've done it to kill like plant native grasses sometimes we got to hit it initially with at least four quarts per acre the next time you got to hit it with two quarts per acre. as soon as it starts to green back green out again. back up which may be you know within a month and a half and it takes a long time you may have to spray it three times it takes all summer long you got to take that plot out of production for a year basically to try to get it killed get your competition sandy land it's a little easier to kill for some reason i guess the clay soils the roots don't hold up but sandy land sometimes it appears to be a little easier to kill but still booger bear it, it has a hard time in clay soils growing anyway mm-hmm. compared to sand that stuff will grow like crazy yeah in sand. but for some reason if it gets established in good clay soils real it's harder to kill which is strange you know but it is it's just harder to that is really they, odd they recommend i guess it's the roots or something they recommend a higher rate of it you know when trying to do like planting native grass or something because that's something we deal with a lot is trying to you know take bermuda grass or bahia grass or some warm season grass and put it in the native you know to establish nesting cover or fawning cover or whatever but uh from a food step food plot standpoint if you're going to no-till it try to and you've got those warm season grasses out there spray them get them killed then keep an eye on it and then come this time spring be looking at it march you know late february see what's growing out there and it's best to go out there and look at all your little warm or cool season weeds that are just starting to grow up your geraniums and your chickweeds and all these things that are just starting to grow go in there and hit them with glyphosate again at about two quarts per acre and I'm really looking to at that time of year, y'all. Johnson grass is a huge issue with a lot of these warm season food plots. And most of the time in central Texas, now you get far north Texas, maybe not the case. Most of the time in central and south Texas, Johnson grass will start growing at about end of February. And, you know, even the first week of March, you can see little tiny seedling Johnson grasses coming up. And that's a good time to spray it because, you, you know, hit it with like two quarts per acre. It'll knock out your young Johnson grass. It'll knock out any of those cool season forbs. You know, usually do that in about middle of March, something like that. Take care of that and then plan on trying to get it planted by April 15th. And then that way, theoretically, your warm season grasses were killed the previous year. All your cool season stuff is there. You know, you're fixing to hit it. So that takes out that competition. There's that thatch there, and you can no-till drill right into that. Gives it something good to grow in. Yeah, you didn't deplete your soil moisture by digging. So if you do have, or by disking it or plowing it, that's one option. And that's like Bradley said, the other option is to do it like a farm field, you know, to to uh, disk it real good, try to prepare, you know, have it competition, and then maybe use a culti packer. Well, to be directly honest with you, even if you're going to do the conventional method, 
you're not going to plow a Bermuda grass out. There's, you're going to have to have a sprayer. Yeah. The, the only way to kill that stuff is going to be chemically because it loves to be plowed. It's it's not going to – you'll never plow Bermuda grass yeah. out, to be honest with you. Uh, so you're going to have – even a conventional method, you're still going to have to spray that stuff. you got to get rid of the competition. Perhaps burning would help. Yeah, that's one thing that I'm working with a landowner in uh, Robertson County right now. And he didn't have a Bermuda grass, but what he had was a lot of uh, – place had been grazed in the past pretty heavily so he didn't have any much perennial grass mm-hmm. perennial warm season but he did have a lot of annual like three ons and you know tridents and little annual stuff you know little annual grasses and annual weeds but it was enough to carry a fire when he sent me pictures like we he just uh but it was decking it and you know so he went in there and burned it off just last week and now we're gonna wait and come about march we'll look and see what's growing anything is greening up and we'll hit it with like probably two quarts per acre of glyphosate and then try to plant it you know try to time it around the april 15th is where I try to shoot for. Because a lot of these warm season grasses, they're like cotton, y'all. Uh, you need to plant them when the soil temperatures get a little warmer. Yes, and me and Chansey actually talked about it. If you're going to disc this this buffer zone around your food plot too, this transition zone from the woods to your food plot, that'd be a good time to burn it too. If you you know if you do this in the fall time, disc it around there a few times and burn all this, this Bermuda grass off. Yeah, and what's good about with the Bermuda grass too, like or that if you got annual stuff out there, you hit it with a fire this time of year, any of your little forbs and broadleaves that are up already, it's going to set them back big time. You know, so like burning right now, theoretically, would hurt your blue bonnets that are already up. But if you got like camphor weed and a bunch of just junk weeds out there that's going to be competition that's already coming up, then uh, burning it right now will, I'm not going to say it's going to smoke them and, you know, they'll be totally not there, but it's going to set them way back. You're going to have way less competition. Absolutely, and and one other thing too that you might be doing. So if you're going to start this in the fall, which you should, yeah. or in the late summer mm-hmm. to start spraying your Bermuda grass, you're going to get rid of. Sure, um, that would also be probably the time that if your soils are de- deficient in phosphorus and potassium, that would probably be the time that you would do that. Uh, seeing as how it takes a good while for that to get, especially no tilling. Yes, phosphorus and potassium don't move down through the soil profile very fast. Uh, especially if you're not going to plow it in. So it's going to need to be put out pretty early to get down there and go to work. Mm-hmm. And there's a good chance if this is an area that you haven't used for a long time uh, that perhaps it could be deficient in phosphorus and potassium or something, depending on what was growing there before. Sure, an old field, you know, if you purchase a property, you don't know the exact history, land use history on what, you know, was previously there. That's why soil tests are super important in location that we talked about earlier. Pretty key. As far as preparation goes... Again, starting to fall mm-hmm. to get rid of these warm season grasses, especially Bermuda grass, that type of thing. And you don't want to plant it too early in the springtime. No. Because, it, A, Frost you get a freeze. It. Yes, you could get a freeze. And, B, you can eliminate the competition uh, that, that could be coming up at the same time. When we plant corn, it's all Roundup resistant. You can go out there, you plant your corn, it comes up, competition comes up, you go out there, you spray Roundup over the top. Kills everything that's not corn mm-hmm. or different herbicides that you could do. But on these food plots as they go, you can't t- typically do that. No, so Roundup will smoke them. <laughs> so you're going to have to wait, you know, until until some of this warm season stuff has had a chance to come up to eliminate it so that it's not trying to come up Compete. all at the same time 
and ruining what you're trying to do, especially Johnson grass and yeah. Bermuda grass. Because it, they, it's just competition. It's, they they compete for water. They compete for sunlight. They eventually, the, their roots are already established. Think what you're planting. It's come. It's germinating this year. It's putting a little tiny seed, you know, root down. So it's not established yet. It's trying to become established. But it's competing against something that's already got a well-formed root system that can just take off. So you're trying to get that competition for everything reduce and like i said the main thing y'all is assess your assess your place quick if you don't have any of these warm season grasses they're not an issue you know you might can get by with just disking it you know a little bit if you don't have that competition if all you got's weeds or if it's you know so see what's growing there first and then make that decision so here's how a no-till drill would work you would go in there in the fall you would kill everything with your roundup with your herbicides and then all of a sudden March comes around, soil starts to warm up, all your warm season competition starts to come up, you spray it again with Roundup, mm-hmm. or you go ahead and no-till, you get your no-till drill, you no-till drill it in, and then you spray Roundup right over the top of that after you plant it, or, or you or could right spray before. it ahead of time, either yes. way. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on what kind of competition you have, you just got to get it done before the seeds come up. Yes. So that's easy. Uh, disking, on the other hand, you're probably still going to have to spray the stuff in the fall. Then you're going to come back in March. Then you're going to, well, probably maybe even a little earlier, maybe late February or so, and go ahead and start scratching the dirt to get you some loose dirt worked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, most people who, who don't have a no-till drill, they're probably going to go out there and spread it with a spreader on a four-wheeler, yeah, on a spreader, three-point three spreader, some some type of, of method of, of putting it out like Broadcast. that. Okay? And so what some people will then do is they'll go disc it over again, and throw some dirt up on it. Now, depending on how soft you've had the soil ahead of time, some of these seeds like to be planted a little deeper than the other ones. The smaller the seed, typically, the shallower you yes. got to plant it because it just it doesn't have the seed vigor to get out of the ground like 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 what your bigger seeds do. Or your grasses have a lot of vigor to come up through the ground, but your like your sunflower seeds, they they can't be planted too deep no. because they can't push through a lot of deep soil. So if you're gonna go out there and disc it. You don't want to disc it too deep, and if you're going to disc it, you're going to have to increase the seeding rate as compared to no-till drilling because you're not going to get the stand after, you know, with, with disking in seeds that you would have gotten with your no-till drill. Yeah, so in general, like if you're going to broadcast it, like Bradley said, it's usually double the rate, you know, if you're going to just go by it as a rule of thumb. And this happens you know, with hay. People everything. will try to broadcast hay grazer. They'll try to broadcast a lot of things and disc them in oats. But the size of the seed is critical, y'all, because, like, the little small seeds, <laughs> a quarter inch, they can't be any deeper than that or they won't germinate their fill. Some of the bigger ones you can get by with an inch, you know. I plant, I set my no-till to plant everything about a half inch. It can't, well, it can't go any deeper than a half inch. So a half inch is exactly how deep as it can go. But Which then, is a good dip. Which is, that means you're planting your, you know, your sunflowers, you're planting any of your soybeans if you're planting soybeans for a deer food plot. And you're also planting your little bitty stuff too because it's also going to, if it's planting no deeper than a half, you're planting some in it quarter as well it's just the way that it works because there's microsites everywhere so seed size is really critical and if you're broadcasting like bradley said so many people will disc it then broadcast it, then disc it over again and then they'll get less stand they won't have as diversity if they're planting a mix now if you're only planting a single monoculture that's that's fine but it can't be too deep so depending on what you're planting and a lot of times clods are an issue or something yeah. you know, your disc Disc is going to throw up clods of dirt, you know, and, and that's not going to be something seed, good to drill into. Seed to soil contact, y'all. Seed to soil, good seed to soil contact is critical and it makes the plant germinate better. 
So if you're not going to drill it in, you don't have those means, then get it just as smooth as you can get. You know, use a hair and drag it if you have to. And me, especially for smaller type seeds, I like to culti pack it before you broadcast it. To crush all the clods. Crush the clods. Kind of make a, a well-prepared seed bed. It's not just super soft, but it's it's soft, but it's kind of packed. It's kind of hard. Then broadcast it, and then culti pack it again. You know. Now this works well, but the only problem is birds are going to be an issue with this. You're going because yes. the seeds aren't covered with much dirt. No, no. Uh, if you had clods or something like that, perhaps it crushes the clods and it covers it up a little bit. A hera is a good way. Yeah. You know, you could you could uh, uh, spread it out there and then pull a drag hera over the top. Sure. It's going to cover it a little yeah. little bit. People plant it like that all the time. And then pull a culti packer over top of it. Yeah, and if you don't have means to a culti packer or a hera, then go chop down a cedar tree. I've done that before. Just drag it over the top. Just drag it over the top. Hook it behind a four-wheeler with a chain or a rope. I planted native grasses and wildflowers and food plots that same way. And guess what? Been successful. Is What's really good is a piece yeah. of chain-link fence. If yeah. you have that old wire from a chain-link sure, fence. Or, or a cattle panel. Cattle you know? panel with a with a, with a some, log some on top or something. It, yeah. it really does. That, that's all you need. Yeah, you just need... It can't be too deep. It's got to be good seed to soil contact. That's what's critical. You need some, so you just don't want to throw it out there and not have something that kind of firms it up and pushes it in the ground. And it could be bit. something as simple as driving your car around over I've the top of it. I've seen that part, yeah. You know, it, does, it doesn't take fancy equipment to do that with. No. Uh, but but your depth is important. So, depth is important. So you don't want to plant it too deep. Uh, like Chancey said, a half inch is probably good for most of these things. And uh, and and so so – you don't. You got to get your ground prepared for this. You got to get rid of all the competition. Uh, if you disc it, you know, like Chancey said, pull a uh, packer over it, pull a hair over it, something to smooth it out, to bust it up, and then to cover your seed up. Okay, so that's all about preparation. Then I guess we could talk a little bit about fertilization, but a lot. I mean, fertilization. You could go as far as to do a soil sample on this if you wanted to, which involves going to your local extension office, picking up a little soil sample bag that they give you. You go out to several different. Don't get all your soil sample in one spot. Yeah. Go to go to get you a representative area of your of your plot. Go to three or four different locations. Uh, get you a little scoop of soil, you know, from the root depth and put it into a bucket, you know, and, and uh, mix the dirt up good and get you a, a sample, you know, several samples from different areas. If it's big, if it's three, five acres, not, I mean, yeah. get you a scoop from four different areas, mix it together in a bucket maybe and, and get you a representative sample that way. You could do that. But like I said, the a lot of people is what they'll do. They'll, they'll, put out, they'll put out a bag of triple 13. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. You'd probably do that you know at one of your disking times so that you get that the the phosphorus and the potassium put down into the into the dirt profile yeah, and i've even heard of you know some landowners, especially in the east you know top dress food plots with fertilizer you know like you said they're not getting the the p and k but you know they it's there do. for next year yeah. maybe you know or, or if you're going to have a food plot in the fall mm-hmm. it just doesn't it doesn't dissolve in water and wash and leach through the soil like nitrogen does you can top dress with a 3300 or something like that urea put it out there and it'll get into the water it'll wash it down to the root zone uh become plant available quite readily then on the other hand if you have your uh uh, phosphorus and potassium it's not going to do that near as fast so that's the reason a lot of that is done in the winter or the fall but you could put it out there and then it you know for next year obviously it's going to make it better so uh how much you need of that well that's just goes to you know 
however much you want to spend on it, basically. Yeah, if I you think, don't have a soil sample to go off of, it's just, you know, hit or miss, whatever you think. Yeah, I've heard people say, well, if you're not going to mess with it, just throw out 300 pounds or acre, you know. Yeah, there you <laughs> yeah, go, yeah. 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 So you, you, everybody's got to, you know. And that is why we have algae growing in our in <laughs> yes, our rivers yes, and lakes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's but so you can't really. Like, it's hard to judge if you don't have a soil profile. I mean, a soil sample. sample. So, uh, so you got to have a soil profile in order to grow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, those are not a very good use of words. You need to know what you're starting with, basically. And if your sandy soils are going to be poorer than your clay soils are, you're going to have to use a lot more fertilizer in the sandy soils than what you are in the uh, the clay soils, probably. Uh, but fertilization, you know, is important to get it to grow good. You need something for it to eat to, to grow. Uh, but you know, on the same token, you don't have to get too scientific with it unless you're just one of those, one of those kind of guys, uh, that could be done at planting time, or you can wait for it to come up and then go over the top of it with some fertilizer. You don't, after you see what you're actually going to get to come up before you waste money on the fertilizer at that point, probably straight 3300 or, or, or something of that nature would be all you would need to utilize for that again that's done probably at about the same time as planting and so now is the time you got to choose a blend yeah what am i going to plant what am i going to feed what am i looking for what's you know what what type of a what's uh, your target species are you targeting are you targeting both you know that's right what area am i in am i in a uh Am I in the east? Am I in the west? Am I dry? Am I wet? Yeah. All those things factor into what the blends that you need to pick. And I, and you say that, like I said, I like planting blends. You know, most of your good seed producers out there, they've got blends that are tried and true for your area. Um, if you're east of here, you know, try to use a seed source that's, you know, kind of fits your area. Like, I mean, I, I wouldn't go buy a seed source from Tennessee and plant it in Central Texas and vice versa. You know, try to find something local. And, and most of those guys local, they've been doing it and plant it. Go ask them, you know, what do you recommend? A lot of them have species-specific plots, you know. Like, I'm not trying to sell anything, but I use one. I use a lot of different seed sources. But one of them I use is Turner Seed. They have, you know, a spring deer mix and a fall or, deer mix and a spring bird and, and they're in the duck. texas panhandle aren't they yeah breckenridge i think somewhere yeah they're somewhere in north north of here but uh they've got some good stuff that i've planted and you know of course it's a mix you know so there might be 10 different species or something but i've planted in both clay and uh, sandy soils and something comes up you know usually. and variety is always good yes it is or Perhaps even the area, you know, yeah. some, some things do better depending how sandy or, or the soil pH, that type of thing. And so, you know, if you're in the sand, plant your mix unless you already have something in mind. I'm going to plant lab ladder. I'm going to go buy something from Mossy Oak or I'm going to, you know, go to Tecamani. You know what? By this time, y'all, most of the top tier stuff, they're all good stuff, you know. So it's all about mainly they're all going to germinate. They're all going to do, but mainly it's preparation. Get them seed to soil. So from a a deer standpoint you know some plants you can be thinking about with spring deer that are relatively cheap for a summer food plot your cow peas you know uh black eye cow peas forage cow peas ace cow peas those all are good deer plant you can drill those in or plant them with a conventional planter you know or you can even i've seen people broadcast them and pack them down you know try to get them buried but uh, more of the forbs the yeah. deer your deer varieties yeah, are going to be which are, peas are technically top forbs and any of your forbs so like um okra lab lab soybean that's good stuff buckwheat chicory and one thing too that uh it'll be for birds but sunflowers 
deer, not they don't so much eat the seeds, but when it's growing, they'll dang near keep it from blooming because those deer just love sunflowers. They love the fresh growth on those, the little leaves. Yeah, they do. And they'll actually, when that sunflower starts trying to put on a little flower, they'll bite it off too, you know. They, they just love it. And so a lot of times if you're planting like a, a bird mix or something that's got a lot of sunflowers in it too, deer are going to utilize the daylights out of it too, especially the younger grass type stuff. They'll eat them when they're real young and tender, but once they start getting older, you know, like we talked about in one of our previous episodes, they just they don't utilize the grass once it gets older. I guess something to talk about too, and, you know, it depends. Some of your more arid type food plots generally work in areas where corn grow well. So, Areas about 30 inches, you know, that have at least 30 inches of rain a year, they do best. Now, if you start getting west and south of here where you've got way less, it's going to be a little bit harder to get them established, you know, very much. And so a lot of those people, like in south Texas, they would say, and even west Texas, well, if it rains enough that you can get a food plot to come up without irrigating it, it's so such a good year, you probably don't even need a food plot. <laughs> There's plenty of other stuff for them to eat out there. Yeah, and more, or more arid arid regions. So when we're talking about food plots, you generally want at least around 30 inches a year. You know. And the reason they're so beneficial here, there's a lot of monoculture of Bermuda grass and that uh, those types of species around, you know, where where if you do have something different like this, that that it will attract sure. it will attract oh, wildlife. You're gonna pull deer, no yeah, doubt about deer, it. Deer, birds, all kinds. Of, well, birds are a little harder because we're a big farming area, so mm-hmm. so there's a lot of sorghum fields around on a typical year that will attract birds and that type of thing. But so many people will plant sunflowers and and yeah, and apparently does really well. They do, especially in our calcareous or blackland prairie sunflowers. Man, that's some of the best hunting you can get. And but you know, it's, dove season's been so weird here lately you know the last few years it just you know they've just it's just been weird weird years for birds here in the last several years but doing this kind of stuff can definitely help just for example you were doing a spring dove mix some stuff that does right but while you're on the topic chancy before we forget when you mentioned sunflowers there's two different types of sunflowers oh yes yeah you got your you got your native sunflowers yeah that come up wild in the cotton fields and everywhere sure. else. Small seed. Very small, tiny seed. But bird, dove love it. You know, they love the seed. So, yeah, this is something real. I'm glad you brought this up, Brad, because this is important. So you got the little native ones, and then you got the hybrid black oil sunflower, you know. Those are the big ones. That are come up. And if you buy a mix, like a spring dove mix, most of the time you got those hybrid oil ones, which they're good. They're fine. They plant easy. And you can plant them right now. You can plant them in April, the second week of April, and they'll germinate this April, and they'll come up. Now, another thing that you need to be aware of, like people say, well, I want to plant native sunflowers, and they want them to come up. Well, if you plant native sunflower this year, like for a spring plot, most of those native seeds, if they've hard, they have like an 80% plus dormancy rate because they need a scarification. They need to go through a winter in order to germinate. So you need to plant those native sunflowers in the fall, let them winter, and then they'll come up in the spring. The, it takes the winter time for them to to yeah. to to get uh, acclimated, I yes. guess you'd say. And well, then, they need that scurification process to go through the winter. Uh, if you try to plant native sunflowers right now, you, you you plant them right now, expecting them for fall season you, to hunt, you're probably going to be disappointed. Yeah, yeah, it just that they weren't out there long enough, and yeah, and uh, that which is total opposite of, of your high of your big sunflower. like black oil sunflower seeds. Yes, and that that's the ones you see in the bird seed mixes, and that yeah. you buy for your bird feeders and stuff for your big big seeds. Yeah, and I think a lot of these mixes too, like you know, I mean Milo, uh, sesame, 
German foxtail millet's a good one. Brown top millet, that's all good dove stuff. Uh, and generally the maturation, that you can get it in in April, you know, and generally by dove season, you know, or into August, it's matured, the maturation's done, you can shred through there, or graze through there, knock the seed down. And it'll probably come up again next year. Some of it will, yeah. You know, most of them will plant year to year. But, yeah, I mean, there's going to be some residue that's left over. And so we got these these bird mixes that they're more grasses yes. than what they are things like alfalfa and peas and yeah. that type of so stuff. So think about your planting depth there, too, y'all. So a lot of those don't – well, that's what I was going to say. Uh, a lot of those hybrid sunflowers and those bird mixes, they have – oh, what's the word? Like the, they put a – I guess it says insecticide or pesticide. They're blue. They have the little blue. Oh, they treat them. Treat them, yeah. Yeah, they're treated seed. Yeah, so a lot of them's treated seed in these mixes, especially like your milos and your and your, uh, yes, they your are. sunflowers. Uh, but they plant real well, and they, d- they do really well in blackland prairies. Uh, and easy to get up to. It's a they good really seed size. I mean, you could drag that in. You could yes. disc it in. You could. It's they get up easy. Typically cheaper. Yeah. Um. And you know, it it doesn't uh it doesn't take a lot to. No, to I mean, look at your bird feeder. You feed all winter long. Look underneath your bird feeder. Solid got stuff growing. Milo and sesame and millet, all kinds of stuff growing underneath it. So yes, very easy. And you didn't till it or prepare it at all. <laughs> it just came up from. You know. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. if you if you are like a uh if you are a bird feeder and you're looking to attract birds, maybe move the placement of your bird feeder around several times over the year you know and get yeah. you'll get stuff spread out pretty quick there yeah sure could sure could especially from like an annual thing if you're trying from that um so in general uh also so so but the bird plots generally are planted a little bit shallower because they have more smaller grass type seeds in it mm-hmm. than versus like a deer plot that has more soybeans and yeah millet's you know, a pretty stuff. little seed yeah it really is yeah. real small so that's something y'all we talk about you can't get too deep mm-hmm. So moving on to like quail and turkey and these both of these they have a lot of forbs in it you know because for quail and turkey plots and so deer will hit these as well you know so you plant a quail and turkey plot deer are going to get it but some things that you know same thing they're birds so brown top millet buckwheat cow peas ace cow peas foxtail millet again hybrid milo uh more sunflowers okra sorghum alum soybeans that's all good uh, quail turkey stuff turkey specifically you know they really like chufa which is you hear a lot of people in the southeast now and in sandy land planting chufa which is a type of sedge i can't say i've ever heard of that it's a type of sedge uh so it's not a grass you know sedges have edges it's a type of sedge but it puts makes these little nodules i've always heard about it and read about it but i've never planted it myself almost like a nut sedge yeah yes it is like a nut sedge but the turkeys love it they scratch the daylights out of it and really go after it and it's perennial too so you a lot of people are really they're kind of your turkey guys they really kind of focus on that kind of stuff uh one other one that i want to mention specifically for uh for quail in south texas like at pogue and um Douglas King Seeds and in Kennedy, they have, you know, you can get what's called Bee Wild Bundle Flower and also Lucena, which is like a type of a legume. But these are uh, perennial. So you could plant these perennial ones. And quail, they absolutely love Lucena from both the seed, fruit source, and for cover. And Bee Wild Bundle Flower is a kind of a woody species that becomes perennial, and it'll get big. It likes calcareous soils. It'll get real big. Deer love it. It's a great cover for quail. And it's also, you know, like I said, deer love it for food, but also it's a type of bundle flower. It's called bee-wild bundle flower, and it makes a good seed that birds absolutely love. So if you got an area and you're kind of 
and this is this the one drawback to it is this stuff's pretty susceptible to hard frost. So they generally don't recommend planting this stuff, you know, north of San Antonio. I've planted it here and the frost did knock it back, but it did come back, you know, it didn't kill it totally. But I love it from the standpoint of cover. You can get cover real fast with these plants and they also provide a good food source. And you probably can annually plant them here. Yeah, it's you just, can they, definitely. It may be too cold for them to come back next yes, year. Yeah, you can definitely plant them annually. Probably you know? a little more expensive. No, I'm, I haven't price checked those, but yeah, I would imagine so. Usually you perennials. Can, I know perennial rye is a whole lot more expensive than yes. annual rye. And, and, I, and at the time, I think you can now, but there at the time, you could only get bee wild bundle flower from Pogue, which is you know down in um, oh South Texas. But some of those are kind of specific to that. So if you're south of here, you know, it's something to maybe think about, especially from a cover standpoint for, for birds, for sure. And like I said, deer love it too. So I like, it was one of those plants I really, really highly, highly recommend for both deer and quail. And it's perennial summer if, if your conditions fit it. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And so, yep. so uh, uh, I guess, did we mention already what, what our good blends would be for deer? Oh, yeah. The, uh, what we said, It'd be any of your cowpeas type stuff. A lot of your cowpeas, okra, lab, lab, soybean, yes. buckwheat. And a lot of those things are good for soils. Sure, they, sure. They really do good things for the ground. So you could you plant these peas and different things like that, and they actually inc- like make the soil profile yeah. better, mm-hmm. uh, do a lot of good things for the ground, uh, and along, uh, along with being good food for deer. Uh, so so uh, uh, oh, Something else. Need to mention before we move off of that though, if you're going to get that planted, get it planted, get it and establish something really critical is put an exclosure out there, a little fenced in area. All it has to be is a little small panel, you know, about 12 foot, 18 feet in diameter that deer can't get to and nothing. Stick that out in the middle of the field, anchor it with a T post. And that way you can monitor your food plots because so many times you're sitting there watching your food plot and like, man, my food plot's not doing no good. It's only three inches tall, but inside that exposure, it'll be three foot, you know, in June. So it's just, it's just too much competition. Well, yeah, when that, and the if, deer eating it. You that's want what I mean. It's too use. much. It, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, competition. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just overgrazing basically. Yeah. You think it's not growing, but it is. It's just being eaten up. It really is. You know, and most of that's happening at night. And cameras could help with that. Yeah. Cameras for sure. You know, and pellet counts, you go out there, see a lot of tracks, you know, but even then it's hard for, and it's difficult for me. It's hard to grasp. Just how many deer, because like I said, if you build a five-acre food plot and you're next to some big cover, some big one, you're going to pull deer. You will. You'll pull them. And you can pull a lot of deer, and you got that food source out there. You're not thinking it's growing and doing real good. You're like, maybe I need to put some fertilizer on it. You know, maybe, you know, they're just utilizing. And a, an exclosure out there helps you monitor it. It gives I like it as a peace of mind. Say no, my plot's doing great. It's just they're be it's being used. It's serving its purpose. Absolutely, and this goes along with uh, protein feeding too. I think you mentioned to me. Yeah, I mean, like I, if you have the ability in deer and wildlife for your goal, you know that's your goal. Then yeah, run some food plots out there. Throw you know, put some protein pens out there and feed protein. You know, make a sixty foot. You know, pin them to keep the hogs and cattle out. Put some cotton seed in there. You know, if you've got that means and you're trying to keep it within carrying capacity of your habitat, it's just a supplement. And it just it helps. And so if you have this little enclosure and you see that it's five foot tall in there and it's two inches tall everywhere else. Yeah. 
Odds are next year you either need a bigger food plot or you need to maybe get rid of some 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 animals. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's all depending on your carrying capacity. And that's where your census and your surveys, you know, that we talked about last time, your browse surveys, you're looking at. Because they're eating, they're eating that food plot. They definitely are, and they're eating that stuff. But they're also eating your native stuff, too. Like they, they really are. And so that's why your carrying capacity is critical. And it's you know, probably important. To monitor all that stuff. I and mean, we do that with surveys and herd health and all kinds of different things that we're looking at. It's probably going to be important to mention, too, if wild hogs are an issue, you probably need to plant a little bigger food plot, too. Yes. They like loose dirt that you plow up. Dang it, Insects seem to be shallower in the food plots. Uh, so they're going to really have a field day in there. So a half-acre food plot with a lot of hogs around probably isn't. Is, I've seen them destroyed overnight. Yeah. You know, overnight. Just and you know, all that work, all that effort. It's nothing more disappointing than to go out there the next day. And, and really electric totally. you might need an electric fence if you got cows in there. The electric fence will probably keep the keep the cows yeah, out. Yeah, and of hogs it. don't like electricity either. If you build it right, you can keep pigs out too. You know, I've, they, they don't like such a small area. If you put a double wire electric fence maybe, you know, pretty low to the ground, mm-hmm. odds are that would keep a good amount of them out of there. A little solar charger or something, yeah. you know, that's what's handy about it. And deer can still jump in, but then your phones can't utilize it. You know, oh, like, then you get you, that you issue. Know, I mean, it's one of those things give and take, y'all. If the hogs are destroying it, you know, that's an option. You know, deer will jump, you know, but uh, deer don't like electricity either, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it gives and, and electric fences I, in in my past experiences in pastures the deer will jump over and catch it with their feet and pull it off yeah pull the wire down well then you got a shorted out fence that's not doing anything anyways uh we did typically i see that a lot with those electric fences so the height of it's probably going to be important oh yeah especially even if you're putting a pin around your protein feed or anything you know you want to keep the hogs out but allow deer in you know so and we'll talk about that when we talk about supplemental feed specifically, like pellet feed, because that's a whole topic that we need to talk about. It's really important. A lot of people are doing it. Uh, but from a food stat point, y'all, you know, if you got cattle, you know, try to move them from that pasture if you can. Or you might be best to fence them because cattle are going to hit your food plot. And if you're planting it for wildlife, you don't want that. Well, it's and good unless it's birds. Sometimes it's yeah. good at the end of the season yeah. to turn your cows Throw, on. Yeah, and let like them, we talk about doves. Let them knock it down. August, yeah. 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 Let them go in there and graze it, knock it down, create some bare ground. That'll be help, help tremendously. And even their the hoof pressure and all that will bring little forbs and stuff sure. up. You know, come the come the fall time. Hogs, uh, you know, bigger's better for that reason. That way, if they do hit you, they won't destroy it all. You know. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You there because that's gonna happen. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I guess we need to mention on this probably is seed rate. Seed rate, yeah. Uh, if you buy a mix, y'all, from anywhere, whoever you choose, there's so many different kinds out there. If you buy a mix from wherever you choose, they're going to have a seeding rate on how to plant it. That's going to be suggested. It's going to be a suggested rate. You know, and most of the time you follow that suggested rate, especially if you're drilling it in, whether no-till or drilling it with seed drill, you follow that rate, you're going to have plenty of success. Uh, most of the time, that's somewhere around 20 pounds per acre most of those mixes plant around 20 pounds which is a pretty low rate yeah or just pretty small seed too Mm -hmm. a lot of it is that's for drilling in you know and then i said if you're going to broadcast it more birds are going to get it it's just not going to you're not going to have nares quite the germination rate they generally say something you know double the rate double and definitely cult a packet or drag it or do something to make good seed to soil contact and the seed companies and feed stores would love for you to double the rate oh absolutely they're, they're all triple it d- double the rate and like i said so and you really do if you're going to broadcast and realistically y'all most of us don't have 
a grain drill for food plots. Most of, you know, and I know they make little ATV, but most of us are out there disking it with a disc and then broadcasting it with a three-point broadcaster or something that goes on the back of your four-wheeler, and then you got to pack it or drag it sometimes. So, you know, if, if the drilling rate says 20 pounds and that's what it says, then probably need to double it for, for broadcast for sure. Yeah, and yeah. and so, again, you might want to do this, you know, just ahead of a good rain or something to bring yeah. it up as quick as possible. The longer it sits there in dry weather, the more the birds are going to eat sure. it. Sure. So, yeah, try to do it with timing. Like, I, I'm always shooting for April 15th, but I'm also shooting and watching the weather. Like, you know, because sometimes, y'all, especially if you're drilling or pl- plowing disc, you know, you can't plant if the ground's too wet, you know. You can't, yeah. The, the drills don't work. So you got to time that anyway. But if you can hit it where you can get it planted right before a good spring rain, psh, man, that's good money. Right? That's that's what you want. That's right. And and you want to get it when there's no danger of frost, <laughs> uh, which is getting seems to be getting a little later and later. Okay. So, but, so I guess let's sum it up, Chansey. And preparing it on for this, you need to yeah, start in the fall, start eliminating about. competition, get your plans of, of where you're going to put it, get it laid out, yeah. uh, start getting rid of Bermuda grass. Yeah, see what's growing there. After you pick your spot, determine what's growing there. And if you got warm season grasses there, if you guys are trying to make a pasture or if you're trying to turn a pasture into a food plot, you know, I'm not saying you can't disc it right now and have some success, but just be prepared to have a weedy field. You're going to have a lot of competition. Your food plot's not going to be pretty like you see in the magazines. You know, if you've got that competition, be thinking in advance. You know, thinking, That's right. Be thinking about next year. You know, you might can plant it this year, but be thinking about next year. Three to five percent barrier between a you know, transition zone between your 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 cover and your food plot especially for deer for deer i love that buffer a buffer from the cover to the food plot it helps hunting it helps everything it's pretty in my mind real critical for deer as far as success rate that's important like i said the amount three to five percent of your acreage you can go bigger it's what your budget is what you can afford and you know utilize rather than taking out quality habitat utilize old roads or the sides of roads or old fields or pipeline right-of-ways or utilities you know right-of-ways what's something that's already there and cleared you know yeah that you can spend the least effort on yes, money. yeah and it makes sense most of those are open you know yeah you plant those and most people are hunting around those anyway that's right Yes, and so preparation, you want to, you know, get the whole key there is to eliminate all competition, to prepare a good seed bed, whether you're drilling or disking or whatever you, your method is. Fertilization, put your phosphorus and potassium out fall, uh, wintertime. Put your uh, nitrogen out over the top of it, perhaps when you disk it in, uh, perhaps once it comes up to make sure you're fertilizing something that you're not wasting money on something that, that didn't even come up. Uh, and then the choose your right blend. Yeah. What's your what's your species goal? What is what what is your what are you trying to raise? What are you trying to attract? What are you trying to do? Uh, what grows well in your area? And last but not least, seeding rate roughly twenty pounds per acre. Drill. More yeah. more if uh, uh, broadcasting and disking uh, uh, or culta packing or doing any of that kind of thing. So that kind of sums up summer and spring food plots. Yeah, I think so in a nutshell. And- I said reach out, y'all, if you have any specific questions. But it's something that's, if you want to plant one now, it should be on your mind, you know. Right now, be thinking about soil sample or doing, you know, something like that. To, if you're going to start from scratch, be thinking about that. And and so to answer a couple questions, that, that kind of wraps that up. Uh, me and Chancey have a couple friends, uh, Amanda, who we know is Amanda Bauer, uh, and and Matthew McDermott, uh have re- both recently asked this question about chestnut trees and there and if they plant them will they attract deer 
And so uh, I guess I should also mention that Matthew McDermott married a friend of ours, Kelly, and they're oh, expecting yeah. twins here in a, oh, in a well, few weeks. Oh, congratulations, Matthew yeah. Yeah, so, Kelly. That's so great news. The last thing he's going to have time for is chestnut <laughs> trees. But 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 so me and Chansey got to talking about it, and we are like, you know, chestnut trees, they make a good food for wildlife. Oh, yeah, they were a tremendous, a wonderful tree. And, you know, I, 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 Brad brought this up to me, and I hadn't really heard about it because I'm thinking, you know, well, chestnut trees are basically extinct in North America because of the fungus that we brought over, you know. So, And they used to be there, – there used to be a lot of them. Yeah, in the eastern United States. Eastern forest, United States. Kind of like the days of the passenger pigeon and all that. Day. You know, they were a giant, giant tree, and, you know, they're in the same family as the Fagaceae, you know, the beech and oak type family. So, you know, they make a great nut that I'm sure wildlife do absolutely love. But it's neat they said that because I've never thought about planting any of them. You know, I plant the daylights out of acorns, you know, and oak trees, and even have planted some beech trees in East Texas. But uh, I never thought about it from a wildlife standpoint, and I guess because I've always just considered it was, uh, you know, the blight knocks them out. But evidently there's some people that are hybridizing them and, you know, trying to get some to, to be successful in areas. And so there used to be this American chestnut tree. Yes. It grew well on the East Coast, and it grew yeah, well in the. It takes it takes kind of acidic uh, soils, like a pH of a four point five to six point five, for them to do well. Has to be uh, sandy. Doesn't do well in clay soils. Has to drain well. Uh, uh, apparently, needs quite a bit of rainfall. Because mm-hmm. where, where, if you look at the maps of where they used to grow native it was pretty pretty high rainfall yeah, probably 15 areas of rain a year yes and so it could be the fact that they just don't do well in our area and along with the fact that they're pretty much almost the american chestnut tree is almost pretty much extinct due to this blight or this this fungus that came from china at some point with a chestnut tree uh, species from overseas yeah i think we imported some chinese chestnuts and i think it was an asian blight they call it from Asia. It might have come from China or Japan or one of them. But this this fungus came along with these trees. And the Chinese chestnuts are adapted to it. You know, they can tolerate it. But it wiped out in a period of 50 years our entire American. I think they said it was like 4 billion American chestnuts. And in 50 years, it just totally wiped them out, this blight. And uh, it's still there today. Yeah, apparently, if you plant one today, the tree it still gets the tree. Yeah, uh, from what I've read. It, but even like that said... You know, it'll still eventually get it. So I guess you could, you know, if you did, I've heard that the American Chestnut Society is trying to make, you know, some hybrids that are resistant to the blight. And, you know, that's an, a chance, you know, that for success right there. You know, I think that shows some promise. But then again, in Texas or in our area, you probably need to be east. And here you're probably looking at soils with the pH and the rainfall areas east of I-45, really, that get, you know, a lot more rain than 30 inches a year average and that soil ph is more acidic and you get out of, you know it sounds like it likes that well-drained sand kind of like where beech trees grow uh, that's true yeah it so it i'm sure it would be great deer food oh yeah i guarantee and it. for we lots of other wildlife squirrel us you know they're fun awesome. to roast on open fire <laughs> yeah so i hear so, <laughs> yeah. yeah dead gum if they want to become extinct yeah uh but uh but probably ain't, probably wouldn't grow good in our area of central texas and if you could you better get a chinese uh yeah a variety or something that's 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 well adapted to 
to this blight. Sure, and you know, and if you did grow it, and say you did have success, because we've got some acidic soils in Montana, you know, and it might be worth a shot. Worth a shot, especially if you want to plant it in your yard and baby it. I mean, know? how cool would that be if you were the guy that brought back the American chestnut tree to Central Texas? <laughs> yes, which I don't know if it ever occurred here in Central well, that's Texas. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> what if you were the guy yeah. that brought American? <laughs> but they say they grow fast, tree. and they're a beautiful tree. I've never seen one, you know, a great big one. I've seen pictures, the and they are big. nice yeah, trees. They're beautiful, and the big old fruit. So that would be a and you know if it's in your yard you put it in your yard you know i don't know to me it's worth a shot try it you can baby it and water it you know give it it 60 inches a year or whatever it needs you know heck it may do well and it may you may not get chestnut blight in it you know hey you just you just might be that guy hey well you know genetic variation is everything so you plant a thousand chestnuts one you know who knows you better plant more than one <laughs> yeah yeah maybe <laughs> that's right that one that one that grows just might be a new species and we can name it after you <laughs> yeah yeah D- different variety for sure subspecies different variety yes i'm sorry i should have said that <laughs> but uh i guess that wraps up today pretty much all i could think of i mean on the farm there's a little bit going on i forgot to mention that that now's the time to be top dressing wheat and our oats it's starting to warm up enough and sprayers are running out in the wheat fields uh putting out fertilizer because um, mostly just straight nitrogen right now it's up quite a bit but you still can't make a crop without it um fungicides there's systemic fungicides that people are putting out that that uh, will help with controlling rust and all those types of things that's going to be coming up insects there's several insects out there right now that that are affecting wheat so so right now is a good time to put a little shot of of a fertilizer a little shot of fungicide and a little shot of insecticide along with the herbicide if you got competition out there henbit's still the problem there's a lot of henbit out there uh this year is especially bad uh good time i mean it's not it's inexpensive put a little make you a little cocktail of all these things for your insects for your uh, nutritional needs and your fungus and everything else go out there hit it about to warm up and wheat wheat notes about to take off start growing yeah yeah get a few warm days and and it's, the warm days aren't going to come this week for sure but but the days are coming uh and so i guess that kind of wraps it up today and uh uh we enjoy visiting with y'all chance to enjoy visiting with you once again my friend always partner and i hope y'all have a good week and i guess we'll talk to y'all next week y'all take care <laughs>